Hey, good afternoon and welcome. I am joined today by one of America's top sales experts. His name is Matt Nettleton. Now, I recorded a podcast with Matt around about a month ago, and it was one of our highest rating podcasts ever. And if you've listened to it, and I suggest if you haven't that you do that, it, you'll understand why. It is absolutely chock full of insight and colorful stories from an incredible sales career. It also generated a lot of questions for Matt after the podcast. So I invited Matt on today to join me on LinkedIn Live, where we could go through some of these questions. Matt, you're very welcome back. Well, thanks. Good to be here, Paul. Happy to, happy to return. Great stuff. Matt, on the, on, when we had the podcast, as I said, it was a lot of colorful stories. You told a story about uh, how you were a college footballer and you, you, you lost a sensation in your hand and that meant a kind of a, a pivotal career change. And you, you went to that ad, which was, uh, <laughs> I think it was, you said something about how to get it, have an easy life and it was selling good, vacuum cleaners. Good, good, yeah, good, good money, limited effort. Yeah, and uh, you are the, the vacuum cleaner story. If anybody hasn't heard that, get the podcast. It is absolutely priceless. And uh, we, we had some questions in, and some of the questions related to the podcast. And the first one was around the idea of selling vacuum cleaners being not okay, that concept of it. This one came in from Ron, and he said that you had mentioned this in the context of selling, you know, I think it was the asthma attack you had, and you related yes. that to something about this feeling of not okay. Could you maybe just explain for our listeners what you meant by not okay and why that's important in sales? Yeah, so there's, there's two basic states of being for people. They're, you're either okay, comfortable with the way things are going on, very smooth, calm, cool, collected, or you're not okay, uncomfortable with the way things are going on, in, in, in need of help. Um, and for most people, they believe that the best way for them to act in the world is to be okay, to be calm, cool, collected, know all the answers to all the questions, have all the facts at their disposal, and, and basically to go out as if they are going to educate the world. And, and, and certainly as a salesperson, you, you know, you early on, you, you get, uh, you know, a cheap suit, uh, a, an expensive pen. In a, in a briefcase, and you start wandering around the countryside hoping to be professional. And uh, what, what I discovered early in life was people don't want to be talked at, they want to be talked with. And given the opportunity, they prefer to help you rather than mm. talk with you. And so by, by learning how to be not okay and being comfortable being not okay, you, you can give your prospects and your clients the opportunity to help you and end up with a mutually beneficial situation. In my case, you know, I, I had asthma attacks. It was legit, not acting. It was a real deal. And people were so happy to help me put my life back together that they ended up realizing that the thing that caused me a problem was really their problem and they should fix it. And I didn't have to do anything. It, it was kind of the perfect, it, it was a perfect culmination of a series of happenstances that I was smart enough not to get in the way of. And as soon as I became comfortable with the idea that 
hey, maybe if I say to somebody, I don't know, I don't understand, I need some help, I could have a better relationship with them. Yeah. Is it the fact, Matt, that you're not okay or is it a v- you're just displaying vulnerability? Is it that they want to help you? I, I guess I'm struggling with the trying to understand why it works and why it's important. So, listen, everybody grows up wanting to be more okay than everybody around them. Right. That's our we want to we want to think that we have our lives put together and nobody else does. We want to think. And of course, our fear is we don't have our lives put together and everybody else does. Mm. Right. And that's so that's where the, people put their lives up on uh, Facebook. All the nice yeah, pictures. They're perfect kids. I, I don't know about you. But I, I've got three kids. I had a series of four birthdays in a row where one of my children threw up on me. Oh, right. You don't put that on Facebook. You, you, you put the happy times with the perfect cake and the, you know, but, but the reality is for most people, we're, we are, you know, going through life, putting together as much as we can, as quickly as we can in the hopes that we've got it right. Now in sales, you know, we show up and, and we think we have the correct presentation and we have the correct answers. And if I could just show you my demo and let me tell you why you need me and, and that perfectly okay situation actually impedes our ability to create a relationship, right? Mm. We're, we're talking to the person who can buy from us, but usually when they're buying from us, they're replacing what they had bought previously. And by showing mm. up and saying, hey, we're okay, we've got a problem or we've got a solution to the problem that you created, we're making them uncomfortable. Mm. We're, we're telling them that they screwed up, but we're perfect, mm. right? In sales, if we can show up and say, hey, listen, I'm not sure if I have an answer. Heck, I'm not even sure if you have a problem. It gives them permission to say, well, I mean, things are pretty good, but I got this one issue. And it gives us the permission to say, well, I'm not sure I understand. Why don't you explain it to me? Mm. And now all of a sudden, we can mutually discover that there's a reason for us to keep talking. Yeah. You know, I was fortunate. I lucked into it. Yeah. It sounds like to me like it's a bit of a paradox, Matt, where the more you try to be cool, calm and collected and look professional, the more you can be putting barriers in the way. So that's that's, that's my first observation. That comes with a question. Where's the line? Because on the other side of the line, you don't want to come across as bumbling, foolish, stupid. Right. So help help me kind of tease that out. So, you know, at Sandler, we teach the thing called the dummy curve, which, which is kind of the road that bends around the mountain right over the idiot precipice, right? You, you, You want to stay on the dummy curve and out of the idiot precipice. And so what that means is, you know, it's okay to be professionally curious, it's okay to be interested in what the other person is talking about, but you shouldn't pretend to be somehow impaired or unable to do basic math. You, you shouldn't, you know, like the example that we use is a lot of life insurance agents, when they start, they get a fact finder sheet. And in their first 90 days, it is made perfectly clear to them that they are to gather all 60 answers from their prospects. Not make them up, 
just ask the question. It's going to take a little bit of time, but it'll give you a good, good, solid discovery session. Well, after that first 90 days, you know, insurance agents typically fall into one of two groups. One group says, hey, I've done this a bunch of times. I think I'm just going to start putting the answers in because I know what they will be. Right. Those people are they're, they're headed for a failure because they are so OK and so smart and so wise that they are putting down answers that simply aren't true. The other group says, look, you know what? This, this fact finder actually is pretty helpful. Maybe I'll just keep using it. Even though I know the answers, I'd still ask the questions. Those are the people that typically make it in sales. Mm. The people who are able to say, you know what? I believe the best way to help you is for me to be professionally curious and for me to stick with what has gotten me here. Mm. I'd like to maybe put the, the not okay principle uh, into, a, into a 2021 context where you're not traveling around, you're not doing demos in-house, having an asthma attack. You're more likely right. to be on a, on a screen like this. Right. How does it, and, and you, you said professionally curious, and I get that. That's also a little bit different to an asthma attack. So I'm trying to pull together the professional oh. curiosity, which has helped me understand to something where they feel they want to help you as well as, as a human. Right. So, you know, one of the things that salespeople are excellent at is they, they ask leading questions. You know, surely if you could if you could reduce your response time from three tenths of a second to two tenths of a second, that 33 percent reduction would be valuable to you, wouldn't it, Paul? Right. I mean, the terrible, terrible questions. Um, but if, if we can ask questions that allow us to demonstrate we have some knowledge of the situation but are not familiar with the exact situation our prospect is dealing with. It, it allows them to participate in the conversation and tell us, you know, hey, I can help you sell to me or disqualify me, right? Because of a professional salesperson, your job is to sort qualified from disqualified. And, and the more help you can get doing that, the better your sales pipeline is going to be. And if somebody gives you their word, their world, they're committed to it, they're more likely to, to, to be honest. Um, what we can do professionally is we can say, listen, I have some knowledge, but I don't have all the knowledge. By the way, you, Mr. Prospect, you have some knowledge, but you don't have all the knowledge. So why don't we do this? Here's what I know. Help me understand what I don't. And all of a sudden, I'm not acting like a, a, you know, a bumbling fool, but I'm admitting that there are, I have blind spots. I have areas that I don't fully comprehend. I have things that you can help me understand. And as a buyer, I'm compelled to help the person who, who in theory, could help me if I'm willing to admit a problem. Hmm. And so yeah. that's what we're, we're always pushing for. Can we... I always say to my, my prospects, I want this to be a conversation, not a presentation. Right? Yeah. If we could just have a conversation, I'll give you, yeah, I'm happy to spill my guts about how I can help you. If you can help me by telling me how you might want helped. Mm. 
Yeah. So we got to trade. That's a nice way of positioning it. Yeah, and I don't think you'd get any pushback on that one either, right? Um, okay, let, let's move it on from the, 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 the not okayness and how that's important as part of the relationship between you and your, your prospect. Uh, I have a few more questions that I want to go through. Also encourage people, if they want to jump in with some questions from Matt, please put those into the chat field now and we will get to those before we finish at the top of the hour. Uh, next question, Matt, comes in from, let me see, question was relating to, no, that was the, sorry, that was the vacuum cleaner. Here's the next question, was selling homes. You mentioned this in your podcast about selling homes and selling homes are classically tangible. You get to go look around them and experience the product. A lot of people watching this might be selling services or software that are intangibles. How are those two related in, 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 or what way, I guess, are those two related? Yeah, I think the, the, the relationship is that nobody buys anything because of what it is. Everybody is buying a story. Um, you know, if, if you if you are a motorcycle rider, right, you buy a Yamaha motorcycle because of the story the Yamaha motorcycle tells about you. You buy a BMW touring bike because of the story the BMW touring bike tells about you. You buy a, you buy a hog, you buy a Harley Davidson because of the story it tells about you. I, I, I'm looking it up here, Matt, because it's one of the greatest stories ever is the Harley-Davidson one. And it's not even about the bikes, but about the common values that they have. And I, I actually put this into my phone. It was one of the reasons I was just looking for it here. And, and they have this ad and it's, it's just so wonderful because I, you're, I'm only halfway through it and I'm already, I mean, really feeling it. Uh, we believe in going our own way, no matter which way the rest of the world is going. We believe in bucking the system that's built to smash individuals as buck, bugs on a windshield. Some of us believe in the man upstairs. All of us believe in sticking it to the man down here. We believe in the sky and we don't believe in the sunroof. We believe in freedom. We believe in dust, tumbleweeds, buffalo, mountain ranges, and riding off into the sunset. We believe in saddlebags, and we believe that cowboys had it right. We believe in refusing to buckle under to anyone. We believe in wearing black because it doesn't show any dirt or weakness. We believe the world is going soft and we're not going along with it. We believe in motorcycle rallies that last a week. We believe in roadside attractions, gas stations, hot dogs, and finding out what's over the next hill. We believe in rumbling engines, pistons the size of garbage cans, fuel tanks designed in 1936, freight train size headlights, chrome and custom paint. We believe in flames and skulls and we believe that life is what you make it and we believe it's one hell of a ride. We believe the machine you sit on can tell the world exactly where you stand and we don't care what everyone else believes. There's, there's I don't know no about mention, you, but I get goosebumps when I read that. There's, there's no mention of cubic displacement, horsepower, tire size, spoke count. I mean, there's, it, and it doesn't, but it's the same, you know, think about the shoes you wear. Think about yeah. the, the brand of car you drive. Think about I, one of the biggest fights I've had in my 28 years with my wife was when I bought generic peanut butter for my children. <laughs> and she said, you don't understand. In our house, we eat Jif because choosy mothers choose Jif. I'm like, that hasn't been a TV ad for 20 years. What are you talking about? And she goes, no, that's the way it is. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. 
right? But yeah. so everything that we buy, we buy because of the story that it tells us about us. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, I could see that with the house because the house tells a story about your aspirations, where you've come from, where you are. How does it relate to software? Somebody would be buying, say, Microsoft versus Oracle or SAP or something else. Well, you know, it's, go back 15, 20 years, the old saying was nobody gets fired for hiring Big Blue, mm. right? You can hire IBM. It's always the safe choice. It will make you look like the conservative thinker. You know, well, nowadays, you can, nobody, gets hi, nobody gets fired because they choose Microsoft. Because now Microsoft, which was a bit player at that point, has become the Goliath. Or Salesforce you know, has become the dominant CRM platform. Or Oracle, you know, for an ERP, they're, the, they're who you turn to. And, but you also have the alternatives. And, and so you've got the little scrappy startups. And then you've got the, the, the scale-ups that are, you know, the unicorns. That, that have already hit that first hurdle. They're no longer startups, but they're still not Goliaths. And so, you know, a lot of times you're talking to these companies and, and you're, you're buying a function that you need, which all three or four of the, the, the companies that you're talking to can offer, mm. but you're gravitating towards the choice that tells the story you most believe in. Because in the end, just like the Harley, Harley has the same number of cylinders as a Yamaha, same number of tires as a BMW, same number, you know, gold, a Honda Goldwings, about the same size. But the, the Harley story has nothing to do with the motorcycle itself. Mm. And usually software doesn't either. You know, you're going to have to have proof of concept. You're going to have to have basic functionality. Mm. But that's, that's table stakes. If, if, mm. if you're in the game, you've already got that. Mm. And so now it's just discovering what's the story that the buyer is telling themselves or what's the story that the buyer wants to tell themselves. This raises a really important question in my head, Matt, about that because you'll see some buyers are the, they're telling the story of, look at me, I'm a reliable team player, want the best for the company. Others will be more of the David versus Goliath. They'll be they'll they'll resonate with the little guy and will want to support that. Then, if we're selling, and if we're let's say we're selling and we're a Goliath, and we're selling to an organization, I would imagine then it makes a lot of sense for us to, when we're analyzing buyers, we're paying close attention to the stories that they're telling, partly through past purchases, partly through lifestyle, partly through what they're telling us. But it's not just. It's not just a pain funnel related conversation that there's more going on that will help us sense whether there's a really good fit there, not just at the problem level, but at the, the story level as well. So one of the, I mean, we teach it as bonding and rapport, but the purpose of bonding and rapport is not to become somebody's friend. Mm. Right? I've never had a salesperson call on me and go, well, thank God you're here. I was lonely. Right? I was looking for somebody to go to the movies with. Maybe we can do a picnic or something. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> I've, I've never said that. But if, yeah. if, I can, if I can speak their language or they can speak my language in a way that allows me to receive information and make decisions, then they've done bonding and rapport. Mm. Right? So the example, I 
I have a daughter who's now a junior in college who spent um, some time in Germany after her junior year of high school. And she had taken three years of honors German in America and gets over there and discovers that, hey, you know, in rural Germany, they don't speak German the way that she was taught in a classroom. So as she tried to get them to engage with her, she decided that the best way to de get them to work with her was to speak English slowly and loudly. <laughs> and, the more, and the more confused they got, the slower and louder she got. And by the yes. way, that, that doesn't work. I mean, I know it's every American's favorite move, but it doesn't work. And, and so in bonding and rapport and in sales, one of the things that salespeople fail to do effectively is adopt their buyer's mode of communication and, and, you know, if you have a buyer that wants safety and, and consensus and reliability and proven durability, that's what you need to be talking about. And, and if you're a Goliath, that's probably an easier conversation than if you're a three-year-old company that has started up to take on the Goliath. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Interesting. So I'd never thought of that yet. The story is really about the bonding and rapport and that it's much more than just matching and mirroring. It's much more than just this style. You actually have to be paying close attention to values, traits, characteristics of your buyers as well as part of your evidence gathering. That, at least that's what I'm taking from what you're, you're, you're telling me. Yeah. Yeah. I think right. that that's the, you know, if we, we can divide buyers in a whole bunch of different ways. There's, you know, two thirds of them want to buy something very similar to what they have. Yes. But one third wants something totally different. Yes. Now, I have to get, there's a nice segue to the next question. I'm looking here from, from Liam. Right. Liam has sent in this question and it's about you, Matt. Okay. Are you, are you ready for this? Here we go. You seem like a very outgoing guy. How important is it to be outgoing? I'm an introvert. All right. Well, uh, here's the here is the answer to that. It's not important to be outgoing. It's important to act outgoing. Okay. Um, and so, what what I would say is that um, you know we teach IR theory that who you are is not what you are. Who you are yep. as an individual is not what you do in your roles. And and sales is a role. You know, selling is a Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist. That means yep. you're an actor or an actress. And, and you need to decide in order to be an effective actor, you know, what do you have to do? And, and to some degree, as a salesperson, you, you've got to sound a certain way, I believe. You've got, to, you've got to be curious. But there are plenty of people who are introverts. In fact, I would tell you I am probably one of them mm -hmm. um, that, you know, we do pretty well as salespeople. Because we understand that we are not the ones with the money and the problem. They are. And we work relentlessly to understand how they want to spend the money, how they want to fix the problem, and what we can do to help or not help so that we can walk away. What do you say then to somebody who says, you're talking about acting outgoing, but it's important to be authentic? Help me right. square that circle. So I, listen, I, I act outgoing. I, I, I'm happy to talk to people, happy to, to, to be curious about people, happy to learn about them. Um, I'm not being fake. I mean, I, I would never tell somebody that I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan because Baltimore Ravens fans 
know, it's the equivalent of saying that you like Chelsea in soccer or, you know, or, or, you know, any of the teams that are widely hated, the Yankees in baseball, right? You just can't, there's just some things that you just don't say in, in polite company. So you, you've got these things that, you know, you, I, I get it. You want to be yourself. Yeah. But the last thing that you want to be is overwhelm your prospects with you. Right. So I am, I, I am gray flannel. I am in the background. And when I'm on a sales call, um, I will leave my sales call knowing way more about my prospect than my prospect knows about me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. I, I actually like to define introvert, extrovert, because like yourself, it's often a surprise to people. I would say I'm actually an introvert because our, our lives tend to be in an extrovert context, either meeting people yeah. or on your stage or you're speaking to groups. And to me, I define it by not what people see when you're with other people, but where you get your energy from. For me, I, I, need, I need quiet time to recharge, where an extrovert needs to be, they get a sense of energy from other people. I need to get away from other people in order to get an energy. And then I expend it when I'm with people rather than charge. And it's just, that's my way of looking at it. It's the only way I can make sense of it, because if you're just looking at the, as, as you said, if you're looking at behavior of what people are saying and doing, then that's not always a good guide. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right, cool. Will we take another question? We have, we have time for a few more questions. Yeah. Uh, here's one from a manager. Well, I'm guessing it's a manager by the question. Uh, from Frank, he says, can a great manager make a silk perk purse out of a sow's ear asking for a friend? <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm assuming that the question is really, are some of my people actually not suited to sell? Yes, I guess. That would be my, my interpretation. Too. That would be my interpretation. Um, and the reality is, yeah, probably they're not suited to sell. Now, the question that I think Frank needs to look at or his friend needs to look at is, did he hire him that way or did he make him that way? Hmm. Because when you sit down to hire a salesperson, you, you should know that the salesperson you're hiring fits into the sales position you're hiring them for. You know, if I, if I was going to hire people to be a bullfrog, you would have to enjoy sitting on a lily pad in muddy water Right? probably help to have a long tongue. And by the way, you would have to, you know, be willing to catch flies and eat them. So you better enjoy the taste of flies. Mm. Right. So my, my interview would not be, are you good at badminton? Right. It would be, Hey, do you like sitting in muddy water? Mm. How long is your tongue? When was the last time you caught a fly? When you eat flies, how do you react to the taste? Right. And so think about this in sales. You know, you have people who are good at long selling cycles, complex technical solutions. You have people that are good at short selling cycles, easy decisions, quick, maybe transactional. You have people that are good at creating demand by being curious and inquisitive. You have people that are good at fulfilling demand, you know, handling inbound leads, dealing with prospects who are already convinced that they need help and want help. And so as you hire, right, Somebody who is short cycle, inbound driven is not going to be great for long selling cycle demand creation. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you hire somebody for the wrong position, it's not their fault. They yeah. didn't screw it up. And so when you say, can I make a silk purse from a sow's ear? My first question is, I don't think they're a sow's ear, but when you took an objective measurement of what you were looking for, how did they match up? Mm. And so it's really, the, the question is, are there people better suited for positions? And are there positions better suited for people? And are you matching them appropriately? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I guess the, nobody else can answer that question. But uh, Frank himself, I guess, on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's one, I guess, a lot of people, before they invest in training or coaching, they'll often want to, they'll have their doubts about whether somebody's going to make the grade. And, and to me, it's often when you, when you delve underneath the servers to look at why somebody isn't performing. You're right. It's often the environment that they're, that they're working in that prevents them from being at their best. Um, or they could have been hired and, and in the wrong job. Uh, I've seen that many times as well where people are, I, I remember one company I was working with and they were all very tactical salespeople and then the company changed its how it went to market it was much more of a, uh, a consultative style they went into managed service instead of box shifting they were an IBM reseller and we did an assessment on the team and found out they were all ideally suited for quick fire take take an order on the phone get it out the next day onto the next call onto the next call Whereas now they were going into six month sales cycles and they really just struggled with it. They were, they weren't, they were like fish out of water. So yeah. I guess well, that's another one. Where Albert Einstein said, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, right? The, the yep. problem isn't the fish, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. All right. Time for another question. Uh, we have a couple more coming in here. We have uh, when a deal dies on the vine due to or to no decision, is that because there's not enough pain or not enough motive, I guess, or are you just with the wrong people? So no deal has ever died because of no decision, ever. Right. Right. A decision not to make a decision is a decision. Yep. Right. So if you, if you find yourself in a situation where you've had an interaction with a, with a buyer or a prospect, possibly a suspect, and you've, mm-hmm. you've come to the end where you have unlimited access to voicemail and email, but they refuse to call you back. They've given you a decision. Mm-hmm. The question is, were you looking for a decision from the person who was most able to make it? Mm-hmm. Right. So when I talk to my clients, one of the things that we use is we tell them that they should be selling to the CEO of the problem they solve not the CEO of the company. Interesting. Yes, 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 yes. I like that, by the way. I've often used the sell to the whoever has the P&L, but I like yours far better. The CEO of the problem. I love that because that's much easier to, to internalize and comprehend. And so it's the person that has P&L, has responsibility, whose head's on the block if it doesn't get fixed. Yeah. Right? So you've got pain, yeah. you've got authority, you've got budget. And, yeah. and, and that's the person that, that we're, we're working to, towards. Yeah. So well, That makes a lot of sense. But it could be the other one as well, I'd imagine. I mean, that, that's, that's one problem, but it could be... Okay, so the substantive answer to the question, as I've heard it, is it's actually the wrong question. It's not being... 
you're not losing it to no decision. You're losing it to the fact that yeah. you weren't, maybe you weren't talking to the person. Uh, well, the it's, it's not even that maybe you the, the The answer is you didn't lose it to a no decision. You lost yeah. it to a no. Yeah. Now, were you talking to the right person? I don't know. Yeah. You're going to have to decide that. The second thing is, did you have enough pain? Well, the simple test for did you have enough pain is when you said to the person, is this a big enough problem that you want to solve it? They said yes. Mm. And they convinced you that they meant it. Mm. Right? And and so, you know, I, I, I always say that the person that you're talking to, if you proactively pitch at them, they will listen. Mm. But if they ask for help, they will engage. Say that again. That's, that's worth repeating. Just run it by me again. So if you pitch to somebody, they will listen. Mm. Right? You know, I could walk into any business in America and I could, I could read them the brochure for any product in America. And the person's probably going to be polite enough to sit there. Mm. Right? But if I walk in and say, hey, are you open to, to having a conversation about sales training? And they say, yeah, I am. And I say, well, why? They say, well, we got to do this and this and this. I said, well, is this something you really want to fix? Because I don't want to waste your time talking to you if, if this isn't a big deal. And they say, yeah, man, I, I, I want help. Then they will engage in a conversation. And, and, you know, transactional sales can be done in three minutes with a click of a button over the Internet. Google can be involved. You don't need me. Mm. But a, 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 real, a real sales call for a high-level product has to be an engagement, mutual commitment between a buyer and a seller in a conversation about whether or not the problem, the priority, the pain is big enough that the buyer is willing to invest time, energy, and effort in making a change. From what you're saying, though, or at least the way I'm interpreting it, is that we're moving in a direction where really you're only going to need salespeople for more complex problems that need to be solved, that for more simplistic issues, needs, that well, that's, that's a commodity. I, I don't believe that there is any such thing as a straight commodity sale. Okay. For... Now, this is more B2B than B2C, right? B2C, you want to buy a box of cereal, go to the store, buy a box of cereal. But B2B, uh, if I'm selling wood by the ton, right, which right now is the place to be. I mean, you know, so in, in America, the price of, of lumber has gone up by 500% in the last 90 days. What? I, so I'll come back to that. I, I'm curious about that. I'll come back, but could, please continue. Yeah. Um, but... You know, one of the things that, that has to happen, and, and there's a question from Nolan about the importance of marketing plays and sales, is one of the things that has to happen is marketing tells a story that in when it's well done, creates questions from prospects, right? Harley tells a story that makes you go, how do I get a piece of that freedom, that, that stick it to the man attitude? What do I do have to do to, to, to get into that? Right. And so marketing done well tells a story that generates questions that starts a conversation with a salesperson. Right. Now, if we're going to talk about six tons of wood, right, well, the, 
nobody cares where it was cut down or how long it was dried. Like, does it meet the standard? Yes, good. Now, can you get it to me on time? What's the service level? If I have a problem, who do I talk to? Those are all the things that salespeople sell. Salespeople don't sell the commodity. I mean, the commodity is the commodity, right? It's, it's $9.95 a ton, whatever. I, I, it doesn't matter. But how does it fix your problem? When can you get it delivered? How do you, how do you manage the process? If I have a problem, who do I talk to? That's what buyers buy. Mm. I actually think that's also true in some extent to commodities as well. I don't know. Stop me if I told you about the B&H story um, I might have done on the last podcast was I was in New York a couple, few years ago and I went in. I was, what I wanted to do was get a recording device that I could strap on with a little lapel mic. And when I was in a class, I could record what I was doing and record some of the role plays. And so I had in mind what I wanted and I went in and if you've been to B&H in New York, it's like a candy store for, for geeks. And I'm, I'm, I'm geeking out on all this gear and the sales guy comes over and, you know, he says, uh, well, you know, let me ask you what, what you dropped by for. Uh, and I told him and he said, what's your budget? And I'd never been asked that in a, in a shop before or a store. And I told him 200 bucks and he said, come over here. And he said, and uh, he pointed out a, a few of these devices. He says, Here's, and, and he asked me what I wanted it for. And I told him, he said, here's one. He said, it's $75. And uh, he, he, he said to me that I, 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 I was, I think in my head, I needed a wireless transmitter for me to a laptop. And he said, no, he says you could just put a little SD card in it, put it in your pocket and it'll do the same thing. And then you can transfer it later. And I thought, and I did ask him, I said, I'm curious, curious. I said, I told you I had $200 to spend and you just uh, showed me a product that was $75. He said, yeah, he said, he says, none of uh, the salespeople in this story says are on commission. Yeah. And so <laughs> I had to talk to this guy. And, uh, but, but, but what he said to me stuck. He said, look around this store. He said, you can buy anything in this store up the road in Adorama or any of the other big, big stores. He says, you're not buying those products. He says, you're buying, he says, when, when, when you're at home and you're thinking, I need A, he says, I want you to think of me. He says, that's what you're buying. And, right. and, and then he said something else, which I thought I'd never heard before. And it was just the honesty of it. I just, I, I couldn't resist. I had no intention of buying the lapel mic. And he said, and his words were, I want to sell you a lavalier mic. And I said, okay. And he says, here's why. And he explained to me that it was going to be a lot more flexible. You know, the details don't matter. It was the fact that he had said, I also want to sell you. I thought, that just kept me. And I'll just never forget that conversation. It was the disarming honesty of it. And it was also the fact that he, he knew what he was selling. It wasn't any of the products in the shop. Right. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to um, the question from Nolan because he, he talks about, hey, is marketing, does marketing play a role in sales or would cold calling be the best method? And I would, I, I would invite Nolan to embrace the healing power of the word and. Right. Marketing is important. 
it plays a role in sales and cold calling is still the best method. Yeah. And you, and you can't do one or the other and succeed. And so that, you know, that, that marketing piece, it tells the story, but the cold calling tells the story and the engagement that you have with a prospect when you're in front of them, much like Paul, you know, Hey, what it, here's what I want to sell. Right. And, and what you're buying is not the widget. It's everything else. So, Oh, there we go. Yep. So yeah. Apologies, so Nolan. I, I, and and uh, <laughs> Matt was was telling me, and I go, "Who's Nolan?" I my bad. I had forgotten to check what was in the chat. So <laughs> thanks, yeah. Nolan, for sending that in. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think all of, everything that we're talking about is really how do we engage people where they are? Yeah. Some people are going to contact us through marketing. Some people are going to going to take a phone call from us. Some people are going to get referred to us, and some people are going to inadvertently call in. And it's going to be a wrong number, and they're still they're willing to talk to us, but we got to yeah. we got to have a conversation that's relevant, meaningful to them. Yeah, that actually, Nolan's question prompted a something a question for me, and I'd like to get your take on this. And it's down to the, the this this concept that I've heard again and again and again, and I actually don't know that I agree with it, but I'd I'd like you to persuade me one way or the other. Is this, that I've been told many times that prospecting is not selling. And, and, and I've never heard a really convincing argument as to that because I actually do think you're selling something when you're prospecting. You're exchanging time for interest. And they're not paying for it, but they are paying with their time if you're setting up a, a, a call and there's a process to it and, and so on. I won't get into, you know, you, you understand. But I just wanted to get your take on it, whether you... Whether you 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 see them as two separate disciplines or as just two ends of the same spectrum, I, I think there are two ways to acquire attention. Okay, right. So we are all at this point, whether we're doing it with marketing and ads or we're doing it with cold calls, we are all angling to acquire attention from our best prospects. And you know, in, in today's world, the amount of attention that people have is exceptionally limited. And so can we, you know, acquire attention effectively by marketing? Yes. Can we acquire attention effectively by cold calling? Yes. But neither is really selling a product mm. early on. Neither is really selling a service early on. I mean, I, so there's a, a theory in the SaaS world called product-led growth. And product-led growth says that I'm going to create a product that you can go on the internet and you can sell without engaging with a human. Mm. So Calendly or uh, Dropbox or you know, RingCentral. And these are all software products that you can go on. You can sign up. There's a per user per month fee and you can, you can buy that. The funny mm. thing is all those companies that are held up as paragons of product-led growth all have enterprise level sales teams, every one of them. Yeah. Because while people can buy the simple product, they don't necessarily engage with the product appropriately based on their level of need when their, when their um, use case changes. So mm -hmm. for example, I've got three people in my company, I buy Dropbox, bang, easy, done, no problem. But if I have 3000 people in my company, 
all of a sudden Dropbox is not the same product as it is for me. Mm. And the complexity is dramatically different and the sales process is different. Now, if you're selling Dropbox, can you do it with ads on Google? Sure. But if you're selling to 3000 people, companies, or you're selling to the fortune 100, are you going to have to, you know, find a way to cold call? Well, most likely. Mm. So I, 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 I guess in that question, and, and so what I'm thinking as, you, as, you, as you're, you're talking here is that there's aspects of prospecting which clearly are not selling. So, for example, putting an ad on the radio, that's, that's part of the prospecting mix. It could be an email, et cetera, et cetera. To me, it's, it's when you get into the realm of now a cold call conversation. That, to me, straddles it heavily because uh, if it's a sale, I want you to give me money in exchange for a product or service. On a cold call, I want you to give me time, a follow-up appointment in, in exchange for the potential of something that addresses an issue that you have. And therefore, you, the, the overlay between the, not just the attention grabbing, but also the goal of the process seem to me to be very similar, so similar for me, it's hard to classify them as distinctly different disciplines. I, I think it, it, it's a virtuous cycle if it's done right. Mm. I think the acquisition of attention is something that um, we really need to spend time thinking about because if, if we don't have value, we're not going to get attention. If we don't get attention, we're not going to have the opportunity to sell. Yeah. And yep. so we've, we've got we've to get issues that our prospects or suspects discover are important enough for them to talk about or not important enough for them to talk about. And the quicker we can sort those two groups apart, the better off we are. Makes sense to me. We have time for another question? I think we do, but one more. Okay. All right. Let's get it up. Uh, you said in your podcast that people can only learn the hard way. If that's true, why go to training then? If they well, they, by experience. Yeah, pe pe people learn the hard way. Um, the value of training is it limits the hard that you have to deal with. Right? If, if I can avoid avoidable problems, I've often said, I'm 54 years old. I've often said, I don't have time to make everybody else's mistakes. I'll just copy them, <laughs> right? So the value of training is it, it narrows my, my window of possible actions so that the things that I screw up are a little bit more focused mm. so that they're a little bit more concentrated in areas mo most likely to work. It's one thing to say, hey, I, I tried a 30-second commercial for the first time and I crashed and burned. It's another thing to say, I strung together words in a haphazard manner, hoping for the best. That didn't work. I'll try again tomorrow. Right. So yeah. as we structure things in training, what we're doing is we're giving you the best practice to copy and to mm. improve on and to implement rather than saying, hey, do what you want. Hope for the best. Don't worry. You got another day tomorrow to try it. Mm. So it's about mitigating some of the pain uh, from the process of learning. Uh, what about speed? Does it do anything in that sense where you're, by training, you're actually, you're accelerating the pain and you're taking it up front? Well, it, yeah. I mean, if, 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 I, if I can do, I, I had a college or high school football coach who at one point said to me, hey, Matt, as a linebacker, there are 53 different positions you can hold your hand in, uh, you know, in your stance. He said, here's the one that's acceptable to us. 
that's training, right? You think there's 175 different ways to run a sales call. Here's the process we follow. I've just eliminated 174 points of failure for you. I, I, I can do that. And each time I do that, everybody becomes more productive. By the way, if you're in a, a sales group and 10 of you go through training, I've just eliminated 1,700 possible failures. Oh, and as you succeed, now you can share stories because you have common language, mm. right? And so now rather than everybody making their own mistakes, nine people can copy off the 10th guy. Oh, you screwed that up? We won't do that, right? Now all of a sudden, nine people don't have to make that mistake to learn. Mm. And guy number 10 can explain the problem. Mm. You know, in the business world, one of the biggest problems that I see is people have non-transferable skills and the skills that they could transfer, they don't have the language for. That's where training really kicks in. Yeah, I remember you saying that in the podcast and it struck me as really interesting. It was all about the language, how, how, how important language is to humans. And it's the one thing, not the only thing, but it's one major thing that distinguishes us from so many other animals. It's the ability that we, without language, we can't think. We need language in order to categorize and classify and coalesce thoughts and, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Frame, our, frame our present, frame our past, frame our future. Yeah, yeah. Matt, you're, absol you're an absolute bundle of insight. I, I always take something away from our chats, and I really value you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us once again. Love to have you back if you're... Uh, um, if you're love to come back. These are enjoyable conversations. That'd be fantastic. I would love that. But we are unfortunately up on time. We're going to have to leave it there. Matt Nettleton, thank you so much for me, my guest today on our first ever LinkedIn live session. So, well, my first LinkedIn live session, not LinkedIn's first, just mine. But uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you.